our last Sunday, we are in a series called Asking for a Friend. I know I've enjoyed it a lot. I hope you guys have. And uh, today we are going to hit that, that last topic, does God really need my money? And uh, the answer is no, but the church does. So start giving. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. In fact, I know, um, you know, this, is a, this can be a tense subject. So I promise um, it's going to be good and encouraging and challenging to you all at the same time. So um, before I get into it, I want to read my text first. So if you guys will stand with me one more time. I'll read my text verse this morning. It's out of Matthew 20, or 6, 24. These are the words of Jesus. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You could also say you cannot worship both God and money. There's not enough room in us to be able to do both. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time that we have together, Lord. Thank you for your presence in this place. God, we need you so desperately. I pray, Lord, that you have your way in each one of our lives during these next few minutes, and that you'd move me out of the way so you can do your work in our hearts. Lord, we just open ourselves up to you. We pray that we'd be able to honor you in everything we do and say. We love you, we worship you, and we bless you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So I know preaching on money Makes everybody a little bit tense. So I thought I'd lighten the mood a little bit with a joke to start off. Uh, I did run this joke by joy, so it's approved. Being a Yankee, sometimes we don't always know uh, the line, or we like to push up against it a little. So, uh, so this guy, he goes to church one day, and the pastor preached on uh, money, on stewardship, and how important it is to honor God with our, with our finances. And the guy got so convicted he couldn't sleep at night. So finally he ended up writing a letter to the IRS, an anonymous letter, and he said, I haven't been able to sleep at night because I, because I've been cheating on my income taxes, and so I've enclosed a cashier's check for $150. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> so, I think you missed the heart of the sermon, honestly. If I want to ask my opinion, um, I do want to clear the air this morning. Okay, this is not some veiled attempt to get you to give money to the church. Okay, we're not, we're not going to lock the doors and take up an offering at the end and make you give all your money away. Uh, before we let you leave today. We're not, we're not doing anything like that. This is not about getting you to give more money to the church, okay? Um, because I know the stigma with church that a lot of people have is that the church just wants my money. We hear it all the time, right? I know I've heard it a lot, not necessarily about here, but just people that have been disgruntled for whatever reason, you know, people that have uh, experienced some, some financial abuse in church or uh, have, have, have seen the money that they've given used for things that they did not want to be used or you've seen scandals in churches that have involved money and so people can have some bad feelings towards the church and money and uh you know whether you're maybe you're newly saved and you're just not at that place yet in your relationship with the lord where you feel comfortable um we want we want everybody to feel comfortable in this place and i I would never want to manipulate or try to coerce anyone to give money to the church that's not what this is about Um, because frankly i believe wholeheartedly with every ounce of my soul the the verse in psalm 24 that says the earth is the lord's and everything in it i believe it's all his and so frankly for me what i what i take from that is that if i feel like the church needs more money i'm gonna ask the one who has it all that's my god i'm gonna ask him first and i believe that he will provide for us i believe he could put it on the heart of anyone to help provide for the needs and so uh we want you guys to feel free and, and to be wherever you are in your relationship with the Lord when it comes to tithing and giving, that you would feel comfortable in that. That's, that's between you 
and God. Now, I will do some teaching on finances and, uh, today, and I, and I think it's relevant, um, but I don't want you to think, that again, that this is some veiled way to get you to, to give money to the church. I do believe in sowing and reaping wholeheartedly. I, I feel like I've lived my life that way, and I've seen the fruit of it, and I believe in it. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear. Paul said in Galatians that uh, not to be deceived because God will not be mocked. He says, a man reaps what he sows. That's just, that's scripture, that's biblical, and I believe with all my heart. But he also says in 2 Corinthians, he talks about reaping and sowing when it comes to money. In fact, I want to read the verse. It's um, 2 Corinthians 6, and, or 2 Corinthians 9, excuse me, in verse 6 and 7. He says, remember this. So he's telling us, remember, don't forget this, guys. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Anyone want to reap generously? Amen to that. I know I do. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And unfortunately, I've seen too many churches where they have tried to compel people or they've tried to manipulate people into giving um, in a way that's not necessarily lining up with God's word. And we would never do that in this church. I've been in this church 20 years and I've never seen that and we're not going to start it now. We want you guys to be, to be free and to give what you have determined in your heart to give. And uh, frankly, if you're, if you're a Christian and New Hope is your home and you think we're a trustworthy ministry and that we're helping to build God's kingdom and not our own kingdom, I do encourage you to tithe. I encourage you to give. I feel like we, we have a good track record for a long time of, financials, of, of finances in this church. And so I would encourage you to do that, but uh, we want you to do it cheerfully and with what, what you feel comfortable with. Now, that is the end of me talking about giving money to the church, okay? I wanted to get that out of the way because I don't want you guys to think that I'm not going to talk about you giving any money to New Hope from here on out. Uh, because I, I want you guys to be able to relax and know that I think God has a standard for us in our finances. And a lot of it has to do with a lot of things outside of the church. And frankly, there's a lot of places we can sow seed that have nothing to do with the church. That it would be biblical. God says to take care of the orphans and the widows and the needy and the poor and the down and out and the helpless. We're, we're called to take care of people, even in our own life. Not necessarily giving it to a ministry that's doing it, but we can do it ourselves too. And, and I believe, frankly, that if Christians did what we were called to do when it came to our finances and honoring God with our money, we wouldn't have the need for governmental programs that we have. I don't think we'd need welfare. We wouldn't need social security. There'd be a lot of things we wouldn't need if the church did what they are called to do according to the word of God. Unfortunately, too many don't do that. So we, we have these other places too. But, um, but God wants us to, to uh, be able to give cheerfully wherever we do give. And I want to make sure we're aware of that today because, you know, money has power. Money is very, very powerful. To act like it doesn't have power is to deny the reality of what it is. And it can be used for good and for evil. Anything that has power can be used for good or evil. Politics has power, and it can be used for good or evil. Any, anything that has power can be used both ways. And, and what, what we've seen in the church is that we've taken the two extremes when it comes to money and, and taught on it. You see it depending on the church, depending on the season. You'll hear different teachings, and there, there's two extremes. There's the one extreme where what they've coined the phrase the prosperity gospel and all of you have heard of it where if you'll just honor god with your money and you'll you'll trust him and you know if you give enough to the church especially god's going to bless you he's going to give you everything you need he's going to give you the desires of your heart they've we've taken verses and twisted them to make us feel like if we give enough that god's just going to give us everything we want and we're going to be we're just going to have life and have it more abundantly and we've twisted scriptures to make us feel like 
that getting saved and living the Christian life is about prosperity in financial things and material things. And then you got the other extreme, which is called kind of the poverty gospel, where it's horrible to have money or to even want money. We should hate money at all costs because money's terrible and all it does is cause evil and the love or money is the root of all evil. We've twisted scriptures to meet our, our narratives on this side too. And uh, I could not disagree more with both of them because I feel like making any blanket statement about, uh, about that aspect of life is very dangerous because the Bible gives examples of both. You know, God obviously blessed Abraham, very clearly blessed him, prospered, prospered him. He blessed Job, very much so. He blessed Solomon financially. These, were all th- these, these people were blessed of God to be wealthy, right? But then you could also look at people like John the Baptist, who wore a garment of camel hair and ate locusts. I don't think rich people are going to eat locusts, right? They're going to eat steak. Locusts are for people that don't have a lot of money. And there's no evidence to suggest that any of the early disciples were wealthy at all. In fact, if if anything, it's the other way around. And Jesus himself said that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And when, when when it was time to pay the temple tax, he told Peter to go catch a fish, and the first fish he pulled out would have a coin in his mouth that he could use to pay the temple tax. So what I get from that is that Jesus wasn't a wealthy man either. I think we can say that. So if, if God's plan for us is that we'd all be rich, don't you think Jesus would lead by example in that? You know, That's not to say God doesn't bless some people to be wealthy. He obviously does. But the idea is that we are called to honor God with our finances no matter what he's given us. And I've come to the conclusion over my years of studying the word when it comes to finances, because I've, I've studied it a lot because the Lord called Joy and I into business, uh, what, 20 years ago. And we knew that that business was meant to be a ministry, and we wanted to approach it as ministry. So I studied hard about what it looks like to be a, a Christian businessman making money. And so in my study of the word, what I found, and I heard this phrase a long time ago, and I feel like it's the, the most accurate, balanced thing you could say is that it's okay to have money as long as money doesn't have you. At the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. God can bless us, but we got to make sure that that money is not something that that drive isn't something that has us, that that's our motive in life, right? Because that's not what God would want for any one of us. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I believe that you guys are like me, that you want to honor God with your finances. I think, we, I think the, the general idea for us as believers is we want to honor God because we believe that God's way is the best way, Amen. But how many of you know that God's way and society's way are at odds? They don't get along. Society's way, you know, the the best description I can think of with that is is what we look at with the commercialization of our nation and our country and how there's companies out there that are trying to get your money all over the place. We're saturated with advertisements and marketing, whether you're online or on social media or TV or driving out I-20. There's, there's marketing and advertisements everywhere, and they have one goal and one goal only, and it is to get your money before another company gets your money. That's their goal, all of them, even, even the good ones, even the ones that we believe have, you know, have a good business philosophy and a good model. They still, the desire, the, the end of the day, the goal for a business is to get your money. The bottom line is what's important. And that's in contrast to our biblical standard what God would want for us. It's not about how many things we can get. It's not about trying to accumulate as much as we can get. But man, has society done a good job of making us feel like we need stuff that we don't always need, right? In fact, if you think about it, if you think about a store that you really like to go into, you know, uh, whatever it is, if you're, 
You know, if you're a techie guy, you love going into Best Buy or, you know, you love going to the mall or, or uh, you know, a lot of the women love to go to Target. I, I'm, a, I'm a homeowner and I'm an ex-contractor, so I can geek out going into Lowe's, you know, and looking at stuff in there. And, and you know what happens is that it's, it's to the point where if you walk into one of those stores and you walk around and you end up not buying anything, what do you feel like when you're walking out and you have to walk through the cash register area without anything? You're like making sure your pockets are pulled out and your hands are wide open. So I'm not stealing anything. I didn't, they look at you weird. Like, how could you come in here and not buy something, right? You start to feel guilty that you didn't buy anything. That's telling you how good a job they're doing at making us feel like we need stuff that we don't necessarily need. We can't even celebrate that we walked out of a store when we're not spending any money. And let me tell you, if you walked out of Target with your wife and didn't spend any money, you experienced a full-fledged miracle. Holy Spirit-led miracle, you should be on your knees in the parking lot worshiping Jesus. Because it does not happen very often. They say that you don't tell Target what you want, they tell you what you want, right? So it's hard to live our life in such a way where we are honoring God with our finances and with our money because we have to live in this society. And we have so many things pulling at us, telling us we need stuff even sometimes when we don't need it. And then there's the aspect of keeping up with the Joneses. You know, we got to keep up with our friends. We got Facebook and Instagram and social media and everything that we see, everything everybody ever purchased that's nice and every vacation they've ever gone on. And so that stirs up things in us that makes us not necessarily want to live by the word of God. We want to live by what makes us feel good in the moment. But we want to honor God with our, our money. And I believe you guys do. And I do too. And I can tell you in my, uh, in my study of the word, I feel like there's three main things. That, that the Bible shows me, if we want to live biblical principles of our money, that, uh, that I want to share with you today. Because here's the thing, church, we don't have to live under the power of money. Money does have power, but it doesn't have to have power over us. It doesn't have to guide us. It doesn't have to uh, determine what decisions we make because of the power that money could have. Jesus came to set us free from all of that. Okay? We have to have money, of course. And we have to have things. We have to pay bills. We have to work a job. But it doesn't have to have a control over us. It doesn't, have to, it doesn't have to be what gets us out of bed in the morning, right? It doesn't have to be what causes us, motivates us in everything we do. Because what happens is when we're like that, what we do is we worry about money. If you do a quick Google search, you will find out quickly that in the United States, the number one worry in this country, by far, any study you look at, is money. People worry about money more than anything else. And it's, it's sad because we're not, we're not meant to live that way. We're meant to live content with purpose in our life, because we have so much more purpose in our life than just how much money we make and how much stuff we can buy. But you know, a lot of times we fall into the trap of feeling like the cure to worrying about money is to have more money. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's not the cure to worrying about money. The cure to worrying about money is learning how to trust God with what you have. It's learning how to trust that everything is his and he can provide your needs. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to try to keep up with others. You can learn to be content with what God has given us. So I want to give you three things today that I think uh, the Bible shows us that, that uh, with, uh, when it comes to money that we need to guard with. And the first one is we are supposed to guard against the love of money. The Bible's very clear about it. Secondly, we are expected as followers of Jesus to be generous. And third, it's very important that we invest wisely. These are all three biblical principles, and I'm going to give you these as my three points today, okay? And the first one, do I love money? Now, we're in church this morning. So we know the right answer, don't we? We're supposed to say we don't love money. We just had worship. You know, our hearts are probably in a pretty good place. And we just think, oh, I just love Jesus. I don't love money. But you know, in about 
you know, 45 minutes or so, you're all going to be out in the parking lot and headed back to your houses or to lunch and normal life, and the stuff's going to smack you upside the head again. We're in a little bit of a bubble here right now. Of course, we're not supposed to love money, and most of us would want to say that we don't, but at the same time, we also have to be really honest with ourselves. Because the only way we get victory in life is if we're honest. And statistically speaking, most of us in this room worry about money just by looking at numbers. I don't have to, I, I, you could all be strangers, and I could tell you that most of us in this room worry about money. The only way to get victory over that is to understand that it's an issue and to let God heal us from it. Okay? Um, we have to be very, very careful with money because money is easy to love. It's okay to say that. Money is easy to love because it's fun to have money, isn't it? My, my, kids, my, my kids are starting to make a little money on their own now. And boy, let me tell you, when they get that auto deposit into their checking account from the place they work, it's just the teeth get a little brighter, don't they? That is fun uh, having some money in my account. And it doesn't change as you get older, you know? It just stays in your account a little less long, you know? Just kind of goes through it real quick. But, um, but we have to be careful not to love it. Because loving money is a very dangerous concept. And, and Paul told us this in 1 Timothy 6. I'm going to read a couple of verses out of 1 Timothy where Paul was uh, encouraging Timothy. And uh, what I did here, I just highlighted just the scary words in this verse, in this passage. This should, uh, this should give us a, some, uh, this is a sobering thought. He says, people who want to get rich, or I'll even say people who want to love money, people who love money, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So in one sentence, there's six words in there that are very scary when it comes to the love of money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that's the scariest sentence of them all. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This verse is very sobering because Paul's telling us here that there is a, he's basically saying that there is a spirit that comes with the love of money. And that what we're doing is we're actually opening ourselves up to evil in our life when we embrace loving money. There's no question about it that the, the root of evil is the love of money in our life. And I can tell you, people say, you know, they're scared of being poor. When I read this verse, I'm scared of being wealthy. Because there is something about money. It's, it is easy to love money. And the more you get, the more you can start to put your hope and your faith in that. It's very easy to do. And I would tell you today that my prayer for me is that God wouldn't give me a nickel more than what would cause me to put any of my trust in anything other than him. I don't, I don't want it. I can say that with a pure heart in front of you today. I pray it all the time. Lord, I don't care one bit about being wealthy. I don't care about one bit about having a bunch of stuff. I don't want anything in my life. I don't want a hint of anything in my life that's going to cause me to put my hope and my faith in that over you. And, and church, that's got to be something we've got to be willing to pray from our heart, that we are not wanting anything that would draw us away. And you can think, oh, I wouldn't let money draw me away from my faith. It, it's not up to you at that point because it's an evil spirit that works in our life when we love money. I saw it happen. I was in business for 15 years and I saw it all the time. People that said they were Christians that would go to church, but they were really driven in business and they'd spend a second talking about their faith and they'd spend the next hour talking about all the things they're doing to try to make more money. And I saw people wander from their faith because of their love for the almighty dollar. I saw it time and time again and they never would have believed that it could have happened to them either. But we give ourselves to that. We open the door for the enemy to have access in our life when we are openly and willingly 
loving money. I'll just be really transparent with you guys. Back in uh, 2008, um, we'd only been building houses for a few years at that point. You know, the housing bubble, if you're around then, you know the housing bubble burst in about 06. And, um, you know, I'd just gotten into building, and I remember thinking, man, this is a fine how-do-you-do. And, uh, but it was really great because the Lord spoke to Joy and I when this happened and said, I'm going to bless you through this. You're not going to have to worry about it. Just trust me, and I'm going to bring you through this, and you're actually going to do just fine. And in fact, in 08, two years later, I had probably the best year I ever had building houses when it comes to um, just being prosperous in our business. And we were so blessed. And let me tell you, it was in spite of me, not because of me. God's just that good. There, I, there's no genius business acumen in, in this guy. So I remember at some point um, I had just closed on a house that we sold and um, did really well on it. And I remember I went home and I was talking to Joy about some of the things I'd like to do and start talking about like, putting money back and retiring early and investing and doing these things. And, and none of it was horrible stuff. But when I heard the words coming out of my mouth, I remember thinking, that's not even, that's not me. That's not what the Lord called us to do. It wasn't about trying to save up and, and try to be able to do all these things and have all these things and, and figure out how to retire early. It wasn't about that. And I, I heard the words coming out of my mouth and I realized, oh my goodness, I've allowed myself to go too far that way. I'm, I'm really loving the fact that I'm making a good bit of money. And, you know, we came out of missions where if I had 200 bucks in my checking account, I was doing backflips, you know. So I'd never seen anything like this. And I, it, I could feel the power of it hitting me. And I remember Joy and I, that, I think it was that very day, it might have been the next day, we sat down and we prayed because I said, I don't like how I'm feeling because this is not good. And we sat down and we prayed and the Lord spoke to us so quickly. I mean, just almost too quickly. And he said, well, I got the cure for you. Give it all away. And, uh, whew. I, I flinched for a moment, but I was actually really excited to do it because I felt like in my spirit, I felt like, yes, yes, that is the answer. I'm going to come in the opposite spirit of this. And we did. We gave it all away. We gave a bunch to the church. We gave it to other places. We actually had a really good time giving it away. And let me tell you, it cured me. And I can say, honestly, with a pure heart, I have not struggled with the love of money since that time because God did something in us. And it was a supernatural thing but we have to be aggressive coming against that spirit in our life to make sure that we're not given to it. And see, the thing is, God doesn't want us to not love money because he's a buzzkill. He wants us not to love money because he knows how dangerous it is. And he knows that the love of money always, always leads to greed. Always. They go hand in hand. They are the same thing. The love of money is all about greed. It's all about that incessant need to have more. And greed is a very, very dangerous thing. Look at what Ecclesiastes 5.10 says. It says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. Do you know in the United States, we have more than we've ever had, and we're less satisfied people than we've ever been? It's not even close. And I've been to countries all over the world, and I've been to developing nations, and I have seen contentment in ways in other nations that I've never even, we don't even scratch the surface of it here. With people that have so much less, we get so consumed with having stuff and we, we can allow greed into our life if we're not careful. Greed is an evil spirit, church. It's an evil spirit. And Paul talks about it in Corinthians where he says the greedy will never inherit the kingdom of God. And in that verse where he talks about it, he also, he's, he's talking about greedy, he's talking about prostitutes, sexual immorality, drunkards, swindlers, all these things that all of us would read and go, oh yeah, oh yeah, those are, that's terrible. And in the middle of it, he throws in the greed which that's the one where sometimes we can kind of skirt over a little bit because greed can masquerade as being driven. 
or just being a go-getter. But greed is an evil spirit that we have to be aggressive against. Cannot allow it into our lives. But see, that's the one of those things, too, that we can kind of hide it in our heart. People that aren't close to you won't necessarily see it. You know? So we have to be diligent to deal with it ourselves and make sure it doesn't become something that controls us in our life. Jesus talked about greed in a parable in uh, Luke 12. I'm going to read this parable that he gave. It says, he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now, let me stop there for a second. He started to worry. He was worrying about where he was going to store the blessing that God had given him. Okay? Worry and greed go hand in hand too. You know, greed is never satisfied, will never have enough. Worry is, worry, is, is something where you never feel like you will have enough. Okay? Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the American dream, isn't it? Store it all up so we can just get to that place where we can take life easy and eat and drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. The people around this man probably would have celebrated the fact that he was so wealthy and that he was so good at growing crops and that he was having to build bigger barns to hold his stuff. But God literally called him a fool. It's a very harsh term that Jesus uses there to call him a fool. And that this is proof that it's not only a sin to put our faith and our hope in material things, it's also dumb. God's saying, this is not smart. And the fact that he said his life was going to be demanded of him, that life that he was going to die that night, is, is not, that, that's not the, the main part of the story. That's just him basically letting him know, like, somebody else is going to get those things that you had, and your greed is what got you to this place. And the greed is what is causing you to have the issues you're having. And the reason we know that he was greedy was because the verse right before this parable, in verse 15, it says, Then he, Jesus, said to them, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Can I get an amen? Do you guys believe that? Do we believe that life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possessions? That's a hard one because there's a lot of emphasis put on it in this country. What you have, what you do, where you live, what you drive, what, what version phone you have. I got an iPhone 6S. I'm proud of it. Don't worry, I got other nice stuff, but that's the one where I just don't care. <laughs> but, you know, life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. If we could get that in here, church, it changed so much of our lives. It would change so much because everything else in our life, everything else in our life, including our own flesh, is the opposite. Life does consist in what you get. It consists in how much you can store away so that you can retire and kick back and enjoy the fruits of your labor. It consists in having a newer car. If you're embarrassed to say that your car is older than a 2014, there's something wrong with that. If it's running good, who cares? I mean, who cares? You can have the nicest, newest car, and in a couple of years it's going to just be another car again. I remember the first time I got a new vehicle, and I was so excited. Nothing was more disappointing than a month later when I got my first car payment. And the newness wore off, it's like, well, shoot, now I just got to pay for this thing, you know? 
It's all empty. It's empty. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. God has an eternal value for our life. He's got so much more for us to do with our life than just accumulate stuff. But so many times we just don't have room for it because we're so, we get ourselves in these positions where we have to do everything we could do just to, just to get by, just to pay our bills because of decisions we've made. And it all comes from the love of money. So the second question is, am I generous? Generosity is the opposite of being greedy. If you're living for Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, it will always require us to be generous. Jesus exemplified generosity, didn't he? Jesus gave up everything to come and lay down his life for you and me. The most generous act that's ever been perpetuated in the history of the universe, Jesus did it, and he asks us to do the same. He says, I have been generous, and I expect you to go and be generous likewise. I expect you to live a life of generosity. You want to see greed broken in your life? Be generous. The opposite of greed is generosity. When, when I started feeling that love of money creeping into my life, I had to come in the opposite spirit and be generous. And that, through being generous, it broke that spirit over me permanently. That's what God wants for each one of us. So let me continue reading in 1 Timothy, a little further down in this chapter, in chapter 6, verses 17 and 19. Timothy, uh, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Man, it's never been more true than it is today, has it? There's been a lot of wealth lost in the last six months. Earthly wealth is so uncertain. But notice here he didn't say that earthly wealth is a sin that it's bad. He said, don't put your hope in it. Okay. It's not bad to have it, but it's difficult not to put our hope in it when we do have it. That's why Jesus said it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So to go on, he says, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Can I get an amen? God wants us to enjoy the things he blesses us with. Okay. Uh, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. That's in the next life. That's an eternal perspective. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That's a beautiful verse. And you know, as much as greed negatively affects our life, generosity has the opposite positive effect in our life. You know, if you, you've, I'm sure all of you have had a moment where where you could think of where you were generous for just generosity's sake, and you know it feels good, doesn't it? That feeling we get of feeling like I did something and didn't get anything in return, it's meant to feel good. That's the Lord. That's the Spirit of God helping us to feel good. It's the enemy, the evil spirit, that causes us to want greedily, but it's the Spirit of God that makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside when we do something generous, right? You know, I have, um, I, I, I was... Just this week, actually, actually, I think it started last week. I, I feel like the Lord's been working on me and making me, uh, you, you know, when you being in this position that I'm in now, um, it, it's very easy for, for your life to just be consumed with preparing a sermon, preaching on Sunday, preparing a sermon, preaching on Sunday. I kind of joke with Pastor Bowen about it. I'm like, man, you can't even enjoy having a good Sunday because by Sunday afternoon, I'm already thinking about the next Sunday, you know, and he just laughs really, really hard, a little too much, actually. He didn't warn me about that before we did all this, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, it, it's easy for, it, your life can just be consumed with it. And I, I remember the Lord dealing with me and, and, 
and just making me, help me understand that like my life cannot just consist of preparing sermons and preaching on Sunday, preparing sermons. It's gotta be, there's gotta be more than just that. That's a great thing. I love doing it. It's a beautiful part, a beautiful privilege that I get, but I want my life to impact somebody every day. Like outside of being on this stage that if I don't have a microphone and a Bible in my hand that I can still impact somebody's life. And I remember just telling God, I want to make an impact. I want to do something for somebody every day. And man, it's incredible because the Lord has given me a couple opportunities just that quick. Just, I feel like just because my eyes have been opened because of the desire to be generous. Uh, and in fact, this past Monday, I was able to, to help somebody that's really just going through a tough season. They're down and out, put them in a hotel for a week and helped them out to help them try to get a job. It was something that, that, that we did here at the church actually for somebody. And um, I, I was just honored to be able to do that. Feels good to be able to help somebody. And then uh, yesterday I was actually here preparing and I, I had to leave to go home for a minute. And as I was pulling out of the church parking lot, a guy walked right in front of my car with a gas can. He just came from the gas station, was heading down Old Bel Air. And uh, he kind of didn't really pay much attention to me, but I rolled down my window and I said, hey, how far you gotta go? He said, he kind of looked at me weird. <laughs> and he said, uh, I don't know, about a mile and a half. I said, you wanna ride? He said, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, shocked, you know, because we just don't do that anymore, do we? Everybody's got a gun is going to shoot you now. And um, at least that's what we think in our heads sometimes, you know. So uh, he put his gas can in my trunk. I drove him down, talked to him for a little bit, drove him down to his house, talked to him, asked him about himself and had a decent conversation with him, let him out. He thanked me and I drove off. I was like, it was, just, it was great. I was able to make an impact in somebody's life. I saved him, you know, 45 minutes of walking. But hey, praise God. You know, God wants us to be generous with our life and not just, not just on certain occasions, but to live a lifestyle of generosity because it blesses him and it also helps us to put things in perspective in our own lives. You know, everybody knows Philippians 419, right? Pretty much everybody knows, even if you don't know the reference, you know the verse that says that um, my God shall meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We love that verse. It's probably the most tattooed verse you'll ever see, right? <laughs> see it all over the place. And it's a beautiful verse, but you know what we do is we take this verse out of context because if you look at the Philippians 10 through 19 or through 18, Paul is actually thanking the church in Philippi for blessing him and for helping him and for being generous to him to help him to spread the gospel. He says, you know, I had to go to Macedonia and they couldn't help me there and you guys helped me and, and you went above and beyond to bless me so that I could preach the gospel. And he says, I'm not saying thank you because you gave it to me, but I'm, I'm thankful because it was to your credit that you were able, that you were generous to me. And then he says, and my God, shall meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's in response to the church in Philippi's generosity that Paul was able to say, my God's going to meet your needs. So we can't just say, my God's going to meet my needs according to his glorious riches. We have to know the context of it and understand that it came from a place of generosity. So we want God to meet all our needs and trust that he's going to dip into his glorious riches to give us what we need. We need to live a lifestyle of generosity. There's no place for a Christian to be stingy and to not be generous. But the problem is for so many of us, and myself included at times, is we don't have enough margin in our life to where we feel like we can be generous because of decisions we've made, financial decisions we've made, where we've given in to the, the, uh, the, the, the spur of the moment. You know, we made the, um, the quick decision to make a purchase and uh, put us in a position where we weren't able to be generous. And you know what? We all go through seasons like that, and that's fine, but we need to be intentional about trying to get margin in our life so that we can be generous. Because I believe that's God's heart for each and every one of us. You know, if you, if you ever got a raise, 
probably most of you in this room have gotten a raise before. Did you look at your checking account six months later to see if you actually had more money in your checking? Most times we don't. Because when we get a raise, what do we do? We spend more. We don't necessarily enjoy that margin and leave it there so we can be generous. We spend. Oh, I got a raise. Time to go get a new car. I got a raise. Try to, time to move. I'm going to go get a nicer house. Whatever it is. Statistically, I read that anywhere from about 65 to 80% of U.S. workers live paycheck to paycheck. That is not the way God intended for us to live. And I, again, I know we go through seasons. We've all gone through seasons where we've had to live that way. And I'm not here to condemn anybody. But we have to be intentional about living within our means so that we can be generous because it is not an option for those of us that would call ourselves followers of Jesus. We have to make an effort to make sure that we live in such a way that we can live a lifestyle of generosity. Amen? All right, and then the third and final question is, am I investing wisely? If any of you invested in the stock market or in, the, in a business or even in a home or a major purchase, you probably did some research to make sure that uh, you counted the cost and, uh, and weighed the risk of the investment you made, right? We all, we all would do that because we want to make sure when we invest, we invest wisely. Well, God says we can invest in his kingdom. We don't have to invest in things of this world as much as we do in his kingdom. And that's a beautiful thing when we can invest in his kingdom. And it's actually a better thing because, you know, no matter what we invest in here, it's all going to pass away. Everything in this world is going to pass away. The only thing that will never pass away is the kingdom of God. That's it. And, and, and you know, like I said, you buy a new vehicle within a couple of years, it's like, mm, this ain't so great and I still got to pay for it, you know? We built our, uh, a brand new house 15 years ago, and it's beautiful, and we love it, and it's 15 years old now. I had to put a new air conditioner in it this year, and I've had to do all kinds of work to it, and it feels like, man, <laughs> you know, it was, so, it was so beautiful. I built it myself, so I know it's built well, but it's still, it's going to pass away. Stuff just deteriorates and erodes on this earth. The only thing that will never pass away is the kingdom of God. And so Jesus gives us, he exhorts us in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, what we should do. He says, do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, say it with me, there your heart will be also. It's a great word from Jesus. It's an encouraging word from Jesus. So let me start with the treasures in heaven. What? What are treasures in heaven? Like, why should I care about getting treasures in heaven? Well, if you believe that we're going to live forever, amen, then what we send ahead is going to be with us forever. If we have treasures on earth, it's going to be here until it erodes or we die and we give it to somebody else. But our treasure that we put in heaven is forever. God is a rewarder. But he's very clear that if you get your reward on this earth, that's your reward. If you don't get it on this earth, you get it in heaven. That's much better. We can't see it. We don't always fully understand it because we don't have a full, a total understanding of what it's going to be like in heaven. But we know enough to know, I know enough to know, I want my reward in heaven. Because that's going to last a lot longer than any, any reward I'm going to get here. So we can enjoy it for a short time here or forever in heaven. And then he says, your heart will follow. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. And this verse has been uh, misused or, or twisted to make people think one thing, but what it really means is that where you put your treasure, your heart will go there with it. It doesn't say that your treasure is going to follow your heart. Your heart will follow your treasure. 
And for some of us, we may say, you know what, I want to be more generous. I want to I trust God more in my life. I want to have more of a, a tenderness towards God. Put your treasure there. Put your treasure there. You invest your money in something, you invest your treasure in something, you're going to care about it, right? If you've got money in the stock market, you're probably watching to see what the stock market's doing. If you don't have a dime in the stock market, who cares? I don't care what it does. But when you have money in it, all of a sudden it matters a little bit, doesn't it? You care about the things where your money goes, where your treasure is, whether it's a, a literal financial treasure or whether it's just um, uh, your emotions or your, your time, where you're spending your energy, wherever that is, that's where, that's where your heart's going to be. It's going to be there. And Jesus says, if you will put your treasure in heaven, your heart will go there too. You want to trust God more? Put your treasure there. You want to be softer hearted towards God, towards others, towards people? Put your treasure there. You want to be more generous? Do acts of generosity. It'll, it'll stir things in you. Just like the evil spirits that, that can pull us away, the Spirit of God can pull us towards. Jesus says, invest in there. And you know, too oftentimes I think we feel like, I feel like people live their lives and just feel like, well, I can't help what I want. My heart wants what it wants. Well, that's a lie. The heart wants where its money is. <laughs> where its value is, where its treasure is, is what the heart wants. The heart will follow your treasure. It's a biblical principle. I'm not making it up. It's in the word of God. And it's really cool. And I've seen it happen in my own life. I care, I care a lot. I care a lot more about missions when I'm giving to missions. When I'm giving money to an organization that is doing missions, I care a lot more about what that, what that organization is doing because I have an investment there. If I don't have an investment there, it's not as big of a deal. If you want to have your heart somewhere, invest in it. But it's important that we are careful in how we invest our money because God is a God that rewards us and we should be trying or, or striving for our reward to be in heaven, not, not as much here. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as I close? I want to read one more verse to kind of cap this off today. It's out of Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, when you read that, you can look at that and think, that's odd that he says, like, the reason to be content and to not love money is because God will never leave you or forsake you. They almost, you can almost seem like they don't go together. But I would say they absolutely go together because the only way to truly live content in this life is to have an understanding of who God is, understanding his character and understanding that he is with us. And we can be content because no matter what happens in this world, my God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He's, he is my father. He loves me. He gave his life for me. He paid the ultimate price for me. He, he, he committed the biggest act of generosity that's ever been done for me. And when we know who he is and who his, what his character is, that can help us in our battle of being content with what God has given us. Contentment with where we are financially is a very, very tough proposition sometimes. But God can do it in our lives, church. But we're going to have to be intentional have to be intentional and aggressive against the love of money in our life. And if we don't do anything, if you, if you hear this word, you say that's it's a good word, you go to lunch, you don't think about it again, chances are nothing will change. We have to make good decisions. I would encourage you, if you're married, sit down with your spouse, say, what, let's, let's make a plan. Let's make a plan on how we can be more generous, how we can live with margin in our life, to live our life 
and, and to, to deal with our finances biblically. We're not going to let society tell us anymore how we're supposed to spend our money. We're going to let God show us. And we're going to honor his word. Amen? And if you're not married and you're single, you can do it by yourself. Never, it's never too young, early to deal, with, to deal with your finances. Youth, you guys can start right now with good habits of your finances. Tithing, giving, being looking to, to, to sow seed into good places. I've, I, I sow seed all the time because I believe wholeheartedly when you sow seed, when, you, when I sow seed into Ben Johnson's ministry, 1040 Hope Missions, and somebody gets saved over in the Middle East, some of that reward is mine. I believe that with all my heart because I can't be there, but I can help him. And when I'm helping him, some of that reward is mine. There's gonna be a lot of people in heaven and, I, and because I sowed seed, I get to enjoy some of that. And I'm thankful for it today. You guys can be too. And, I'm, and a lot of you do, and we're thankful for it. This is, this is the most generous church I've ever been in. I can say that without a question. So I realize to some degree I'm preaching to the choir here, but we all need to hear, be reminded about biblical principles of money, amen? So let's pray today. I just want you to receive this prayer. Pray it with me. I encourage you to respond. You can lift your hands. You can kneel. But let's pray together. Father God, we love you today. We thank you today that you, that the earth is yours and everything in it. God, and that we can be content and we can be free from the love of money because you have said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. God, we trust in that today. We trust in you today, Lord. And God, I pray today that you would forgive us for where we have come up short, where we have allowed the love of money or greed or spontaneous bad choices to affect us, Lord. We just, we repent of that today, God. And we ask that you would forgive us for where we have been selfish and done our own thing, God. We're all guilty of that at times. And Lord, we thank you today that you cleanse us, that you've given us a clean slate. We receive your forgiveness. And God, we commit today that we want to honor you with our finances. God, we want to live by your principles in our finances. We will not allow society to determine how we spend our money and what we do with our money and how much debt we go into, God. But we will honor you. We will be generous. Thank you, Lord. We will be generous, God. Help us to be a people that will help provide and meet needs of those that you put in our life, Lord. Help us to make an impact on somebody's life every day. Every day, Lord. No matter how small it is that we would, somebody would be better off for running into us every day. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you for your blessing. I pray, Father, that you would, that, that all of the, everybody in this building today, God, that you would help us to eradicate all the debt in our lives, Lord. Help us to live free, completely free, God. Help us to make good decisions and live according to your word. We love you. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is in us and giving us what we need to make good choices, God. We thank you that you love us so much. We commit ourselves to you. We love you, God. Would you bless each and every person in this place today for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we praise God today with a hand clap? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God is good, amen? We serve a good God.